Welcome to the death panel. Today we're going to do things a little differently. We're actually unlocking an episode that we released that was a patron exclusive all about Britney Spears's conservatorship. Yeah, you know, we were thinking about it and much as we'd love to sit around and crack jokes about our independence from the virus <laughs> and uh, I don't know how much Eric Adams sucks or mm. how the Olympics has given up on having spectators already. Um yeah, you know, we figured that you might actually find a little bit more uh, to love out of this episode. The yeah. summer's neoliberal doldrums require us to <laughs> do actual content uh, that the news won't do. Right. <laughs> That's fair. So, yeah, Monday we uh, will be back with a fully new set of horrors to reveal to you. Yeah. Uh, yep. Back on our normal bonus episode schedule. Yeah. If you're not a patron, um, this is a really good example, I think, of some of the stuff that you're missing. Also, the one from Monday was extremely... Uh, we're also very very, fun. very tired from, I think, all the research <laughs> we did for Monday's episode. Uh, big uh, big thing on Medicare. So This is a really um, good episode, though. So uh, this is a really good example of what you're missing. If you're not a patron, whether you are or not, though... This episode in particular, I think we've seen this particular position and some of the historical stuff that we draw from pretty absent still in the conversation around Britney Spears. Yeah. So please, Not if you want, like this is also unlocked so you can send it to your friends, send it to your enemies, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever, what have you. And uh, yeah, patreon.com slash death panel pod. Patreon.com slash death panel pod. Cool. All right. See you guys on Monday. I was told I have to sit down and be evaluated again if i want to end the conservatorship but honestly but i don't think i owe anyone to be evaluated i've done more than enough i don't feel like i should even be in room with anyone to offend me by trying to question my capacity of intelligence whether i need to be in this stupid conservatorship or not i've done more than enough i don't owe these people anything Welcome to the death panel. Patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show. If you want to help us out a little bit more, share the show with your friends, post about your favorite episodes, or follow us on social media at death panel underscore. So this is uh, today's episode is long overdue, but uh, yeah. now is as good a time as yeah, any. We've been thinking about it in different guises. Yeah. But now is the time. The long awaited Brittany episode. Exactly. And I and a lot of a lot of the issues that are at play here are things that we've talked about in the past. But I think for for the situation with Britney Spears, this is just such a good example for us to get into. So on Wednesday of last week, Britney Spears gave testimony on her own behalf, describing the details of her 13 year long conservatorship, where her father has been in charge of her estate, her finances and her day to day life. And I think for a lot of people what has happened to Britney Spears has become their sort of first introduction into the fact that conservatorship happens at all, that it's totally normal for the state to take away someone's rights if you're deemed mentally not competent. And her father has been char in charge of her entire life since 2008 when there was this very public and what was widely covered in tabloids as Britney's quote unquote mental breakdown. And so a lot of the conversation back and forth 
has only scratched the surface of the issue. And and I think there are dangerous framings about who deserves and doesn't deserve this kind of treatment. So we wanted to not only talk about the situation with Britney Spears, but also the broader picture of what's going on here. Yeah. And I, I was surprised that, you know, just even scratching the surface in media coverage that while the coverage is talking about conservatorship or guardianship, I think that it's still portrayed as this sort of celebrity story yeah. uh, rather yeah. than a story about a legal institution that affects a lot of people. And and I, I guess I can sort of understand that because that's, that's the event that happened this week. But in the absence of actually like getting into it, it does just sort of, I, I think the sort of the if you glance over it in the news, it's like, okay, a celebrity, uh, a celebrity story that I can uh, easily ignore. Like I would ignore any other you know, piece of celebrity news, but uh, right. that is not, I think, I think that that is not uh, what, what uh, we should do. Yeah, exactly. Actually, um, I think maybe, yeah. May, and maybe to kind of say this from the top, which um, I guarantee you that we're, we're going to back all of this up, but I would say that kind of in almost spoiler sense, our takeaway from all of this is uh, is going to be obviously like obviously free Britney. However, also, I think it's important to look at both the institution of conservatorships and the fact that I think the way that a lot of this being portrayed is um, actually I think a really good example of this is in, for example, the um, framing Britney Spears uh, documentary that came out a couple of months ago, which in itself, uh, not even to get into the idea of <laughs> it being called framing her, um, yeah. framing her as as what mentally ill, I guess, uh, is, is the is the assumption here. There's like a there's a clip in that where. They say uh, where, for example, they show some um, people who are protesting like free, free Britney, et cetera, et cetera. And one of their chants is end abusive conservatorships. Right. End conservatorship abuse. End conservatorship abuse. Oh, yes. Just, so, the, just the ones that are um, just you the know, abusive ones. Abusive under what circumstances. I don't know. We would determine what's abusive versus non-abusive or humane conservatorships. But right. I guess <laughs> so, that depends on if you're a pop star. Or so, not. so we'll get into more specifics. And I but I, I promised a spoiler, which is, again, you know, obviously free Britney, but also free I them all, free them, free them all. Right. 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 I think I, I think, unfortunately, so much of the framing and I, I, I promise I brought receipts for this that I will play for both of you, which I'm sure will make you both cringe and horror and agony. Um, but I think a lot of the framing of this is, yeah, uh, not not just this is a celebrity issue, but sort of look at how look, look at how productive and how much of a hard worker Britney Spears is right. how could she possibly be she she doesn't fit the criteria for uh for for needing the extra help of the conservatorship and that's a fun it's like a fundamentally ableist framework that's just I can't I cannot I I I practically like couldn't find a good like take on this that was not <laughs> trying to say well you know also just to be clear um, she's not mentally incompetent. Like I, I think the the spoiler I promised is essentially the the reason we say free them, free Britney, and free them all is it doesn't really matter what her mental state is. Right. This is, but this is a very high profile example of this specific type of uh, legal framework that is used to remove people's agency and sort of declare them non citizens, basically. Mm -hmm. That is used widely on a lot of people who um you know do not have the profile of Britney Spears and so it's important that this does not become simply look at this uh exceptional you know pop icon angel 
who doesn't, right, deserve, doesn't deserve to be yes. to have her, uh, her agency stripped. It is this is a very important, very very important high profile example of this type of uh, <laughs> regular injustice. Right. And, you know? Yeah, stretching back to uh, the English common law. So the the real spoiler <laughs> is we're going back to common we'll, law. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and so let's start by getting into maybe Britney's specific context a little bit. Yeah. Um, so as I said, for 13 years, she's legally been under the supervision of the California uh, state courts and the court's various appointed guardians, conservators and uh, experts. And this week she gave testimony in support of basically her request to be released from her conservatorship without having to be reevaluated by a psychiatrist. And some of the things that she claims in there um, were quite shocking to people. And that includes being forced to um, have an IUD because she wants to have children, but her conservators, children, yeah. she wants to have more children. Her conservators don't feel that that's okay. So they don't, they're forcing her to be on birth control. They have um, what's called, we'll get into this in a little bit, but there's a idea called chemical incarceration where you sort of sedate someone using um, antipsychotic medications. And so that's also been done to her. She's been put forcibly on lithium, mm -hmm. which is often used to sort of take the edge off in a very one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of way. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the other things, of course, that she's talked about is being forced to work, being coerced um, to basically follow orders and do these like appearances or tours in Vegas that she has not consented to, but she you know, has indicated she has not had the ability to um, resist uh, directions to like perform from her team. And so what she claims is that her lawyer has never told her that she actually is able to request the conservatorship to be discharged. But in order to do that, basically, she would have to be reevaluated and she would have to prove that she is, quote unquote, you know, mentally competent and not you know, incapable of making decisions for herself. Yeah. And she rightly, I think, doesn't want to have to do that. And I don't think that um, she should. But unfortunately, you know, the, as we said, the way that this is being portrayed is that, you know, Britney's kind of an exception and that this was done in error or out of malice. And that really hides the fact that actually pretty much this entire legal framework is malicious in and of itself and harmful. And, and it, this episode also has something in common with things that have happened in the past uh, related to conservatorship or guardianship, which is that there are these scandals. Um, they, I don't think, typically involve a celebrity, although they have in the past. Um, the, uh, the daughter of the Astors, uh, yeah. the Astor family, I think in the 1980s, there was a similar sort of scandal. Um, but... They this issue is sort of brought up. It's scandalous. Uh, there's, you know, like a commission, a special report, uh, a bunch of news coverage for like a year. And then it just goes right back into the shadows. And that so I, I think that the interesting sort of thing about this episode is like and the same sort of exceptional sort of arguments are made, like when these scandals happen, the way that both the media and legal institutions and uh, like professionals kind of frame it is not like, let's go back and reevaluate what this institution is. Right. And like where it comes from and what the legal form is, like the conditions under which we deprive people of rights. Mm -hmm. It's let's think about how, how to curtail 
the abuses of that system <laughs> while sanitizing right. its history. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. And if you read all these reports like the Senate, the American Bar Association, they talk about conservatorship or guardianship as if it's almost like the air we breathe. Yeah. Uh, they don't talk about its <laughs> its history at all. And it just and and so it's really funny. So it's like, OK, why do you think this keeps happening? Does it keep <laughs> happening? Because like, you know, uh, we, oh, we just haven't like fixed all the abuses. Like, no, there has to be something with the institution itself that merits discussion because it can't just be the case that like there are like it's a bad it's essentially like a bad apples argument right it's right yeah, no, exactly exactly um actually and i think uh that that's i'm i'm so glad that you bring up this point because actually i was I, I think i'll do this a little earlier than i was than i was uh planning to um this obviously is uh the argument that that is sort of like re- repeated i think when a lot of uh i don't know anyone who is in any sort of like actual power speaks about something like uh, guardianships or conservatorships or whatever but also is something just again and again and again uh repeated among like political commentators in the press and things like that and i wanted to bring two particularly indicative uh examples of that to you guys this will not sound unfamiliar to you know both of you for a lot of reasons but i don't think this will sound also unfamiliar to any of our listeners who have you know heard almost again anyone talking about uh the Britney Spears case because uh, Britney Spears conservatorship case, because these biases that, you know, um, which to some degree we talk about all the time, you know, things are fundamentally okay. Therefore, how could this, how could this institution specifically, this legal institution be fundamentally corrupt in some way, or be based on eugenic principles or be based on, you know, like some of the things that are said basically sound like when you go back into the 18th and 19th century, as we will do, uh, I think a little bit later, um, and see people talking about like, well, uh, I'm going to use the historically accurate uh, terms here. Well, they're not simply natural fools. They're retarded <laughs> or something like that. You know right. what I mean? Um, and so yeah, the, the differentiation between those two. It's... Yeah. Um, but so uh, so let me play. Let me let me play um, two things. The first is from ABC's coverage. Uh, and you're going to hear ABC legal contributor uh, Shauna Lloyd. Does this sound like the normal terms of a conservatorship? Absolutely not. None of those things detail something that should be happening in a conservatorship. And I think what you might see is the judge looking really heavily with a fine tooth comb as to how this has been proceeding and the impacts on her life. It's also going to be filtered through the lens of where she is with her mental status. You know, it's very different if someone is saying that from a healthy standpoint or if they're saying that from some other standpoint that isn't as healthy mentally. Oh, boy. (laughs) So I love that. The you know, listen, what Brittany's doing is speaking her truth. However, it just really depends on if that truth is coming from a mentally healthy standpoint or a mentally health unhealthy standpoint. <laughs> because like- depending on the two, this may be an abusive instance of controlling someone's reproductive rights and conservatorship, or it might be an appropriate instance of conserving someone's, right. you know, rights to reproduce. You know, it's simply sexist to call this woman hysterical because she's not hysterical. You know what I mean? Like if she were his- a hysterical woman you could call her hysterical right. however you know it's that kind of thing where it's right. like you're not going you're definitely not going far enough from whatever you think the actual problem like where, wherever you are locating the actual problem is not in you, you know it's, it's yeah. like yeah anyway right but it's and and i think 
if we actually try to understand why people have this framework, it's it's not so hard to understand because this is the framework like when any sort of episode that involves a really pernicious, bad legal institution emerges, the, it, you know, temptation from like legal interpreters who are uh, who are sort of like trained to like just take for granted the existence of the institution itself. Um, they're obviously going to like frame it in this way where, uh, well, of course, like this is this is like a this is a weird case, and like there are all of these like reasons that like uh, the institution exists, and like the, the this is like a deviation from the norm. They're they're not trained to like treat this as a moment where like we reevaluate the uh, the institution because they're like the instruction in the like legal brain is take for granted everything that exists. Don't assume that anything needs to, or has to change <laughs> and uh, then just run through the analysis that way. Um, right. But the history with would, would suggest that there is another interpretation at least. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just, just to um, sort of, just to sort of finish this out, here's the, here's the second clip. <clears throat> here's the second clip that I wanted to play. Um this is from NBC's Today Show. Oh, boy. Um, and uh, someone they bill as a legal analyst who, in fact, I looked at, she's a lawyer who's a producer on the Today Show. So, okay. Uh, um, NBC Today Show. I think that counts as um, a legal analyst for, le- for daytime TV, right? Uh, legal analyst Lisa Green on similar. Joining us now is legal analyst Lisa Green. Lisa, I mean, it, I, I don't use this word lightly. That was shocking testimony. What impact do you think it will have on the judge? Oh, it was a portrait of a dystopian nightmare for Brittany. How could the judge or any human not feel sympathy for this grown woman who's trapped in a conservatorship? She in no way meets the profile of people who are typically protected that way. People with Alzheimer's, developmental disabilities. And I think what Brittany accomplished was to start this new chapter in her life where she'll get the opportunity to make her case in court and end the conservatorship. Oh, well, uh, you yes, mentioned how unusual it is. I mean, this is not typically for someone who is of sound mind and body oh. who can work, earn money, and uh, body. who clearly is, mm. is in, has her own volition. We earn heard her money. speak in court. How, why is it so difficult to dislodge it at this point? You know, it's very unusual, Savannah, to end a conservatorship precisely because most people in conservatorships don't get better. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, 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 there you have it. I don't even okay, know where you, you to told, start. You foretold that that was going to injure me, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I told okay. you, I told I you, you so. I'm sorry. And yet I'm not because why apologize for empire? Am I right? I don't know. Uh, yes. um, right. And this, uh, I mean, great pick on the clip party because I can't, I can't just think of anything else that sort of more perfectly encompasses everything we're talking about than that back and forth right there. You yeah. know, they say, listen, um, this is an abuse of the system. It's shocking because she doesn't fit the profile because she is a grown woman who is earning money. Capable of work. Capable of work. Yeah. I mean, this is the stuff oh, we talk about all the time. Body. Does not fit the literally uses the word profile. profile. That, that yeah. profile of people who deserve their rights to be taken from them and to be extracted uh, from right. well, and, and this to is be exactly- chemically incarcerated. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and okay, profile, that profile. And profile is such an important uh, word here because if you want to understand 
how someone like Britney Spears ends up in a conservatorship or how the how it is, for instance, you know, a lot I saw tons and tons of people after the testimony was uh was uh after the audio of the testimony was um released or like was bouncing around the internet, a lot of people saying, you know, I can't uh I can't believe this. This is the most, you know, this is the most shocking uh, you know, like human rights abuse or whatever that I can that I can imagine. What a total strip uh, with a total stripping of someone's autonomy. How can this be possible? And if you want to understand how it can be possible, I think the first thing that you have to understand is how even all of this is framed against, you know, the profile of people who quote unquote deserve to be, um, treated like this to deserve to be put under something like a conservatorship, deserve to have their autonomy stripped, who cannot, you know, make decisions for themselves because they are, uh, you know, you know, for, for whatever, for whatever reason. Right. Right. And, and they're not wrong. Brittany does not deserve this, but also there are not Neither people, do people who, who do deserve this. Yeah. Right. And, and I think this is what's so problematic often is that when we encounter these exceptional cases where people argue not that the policies themselves are horrific, eugenic and bad, but that the application of the policy is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. What you do is you actually waste an opportunity to liberate a lot of people in creating these sort of exceptional cases cases, you know, there's this sort of idea in black feminist thought that you have to do like a margins to the middle approach where you need to go for the extreme cases. The hardest to solve problems are the best places to find answers, because if you can solve for the most difficult cases, then it's much easier to liberate the easy cases. Right. So in this very public example of Britney Spears being placed under a conservatorship and the fact that this is getting attention and the conservatorship is being challenged, we are unfortunately seeing people completely um, do the exact same thing again, shoot the entire movement to get rid of conservatorships in the foot in order to make the case for one exceptional person to be liberated from circumstances that other people deserve. Right. And I think if we're going to sort of understand that and, and understand like what I think for a lot of people, this like her being in court and this sort of uh, this statement it's it's it could be difficult to understand and like surprising um but i think to understand it we have to understand like what guardianship or conservatorship which are used sort of interchangeably yeah. uh, right they're called right. different things in different states um uh, but like where that comes from and this like authority that the state has and again this is like in a quote unquote liberal democracy where we have the these like uh, enlightenment notions of individual rights, but we also have these like exceptions, this parents patrie exception that like for people who quote, cannot care for themselves, the state has the, uh, authority is the, like their protector, uh, if they, they meet those conditions, but like that doesn't make, I mean, when you actually go back and look at the history of this particular institution, all of the the sort of niceties and the metaphors that you hear in those words um, really fall apart because it's like, OK, well, who do we say uh, can't protect themselves? And like right. then like what authority does the state have? So like the, the history of this seems important, right? Right. And, and for so often, the idea has sort of been if someone can't fulfill their duties and roles as a citizen. Right. And that really what those duties and roles are has really obviously 
been very contingent on um, gender and wealth and class and race, right? So if a man is uh, drinking a lot, let's say in like 17, in the 1790s, they could be placed under a conservatorship because they are failing their duties as a heterosexual man to reproduce and act as head of household and take care of his wife and young uh, children like under the age of 18. So, you know, what often used to happen was that conservatorships were used as a way to leverage and reallocate control of family finances. Right. So, yes, sometimes this was used to liberate women, particularly um in times where women couldn't own property or where after a divorce, women became vulnerable to having their property seized, you could use conservatorships in a protective sense to try and game the system to allow women to have control of their finances when that's not the norm. Right. There's like a there's uh, one I was going to say high profile, but I mean, in the historical record, it's like really not high profile, I guess. It's just something that's pointed to a lot in certain you know his, histories of uh, disability and uh, legal scholarship. But there's there are cases, for example, of a woman who was divorced being placed under the legal guardianship of a neighbor so that she could remain in like in her household with her children and raise them and then the moment that like the ex-husband like leaves town they lift the conservatorship so that she can just have her like autonomy back or whatever like so there's a whole yeah but i mean but the point being that it's it's um in 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 some cases in in like this early period it's like used as this legal uh workaround and often situated around property too there's this whole right um line of thinking in the legal legal scholarship that it's in reflected in some sense by how legally uh, people who were placed in institutions were treated because when you were if you were declared uh, non-compass mentis right if you were declared non-compass mentis uh, or uh, quote-unquote incompetent or a quote-unquote idiot or whatever <laughs> madman um, legal terminology a madman, right. yeah and you were committed to uh, a lot of different terminology and you were committed to uh an asylum um you, you know if you were placed into a carceral setting then all of a sudden Legally speaking, uh, if you were, you know, placed into an asylum under those circumstances, then your property kind of went into this uh, into escrow. Basically, yeah, I mean, nothing it, can happen to it. And while you're while you were incarcerated in an asylum, on, yeah. right? If you were like a one quarter owner of a farm, for example, the other three owners would not be able to sell the property if you were not declared to be mentally incompetent right. while you were right. incarcerated in the asylum. Right. So meaning basically that uh, part of the in some ways, part of this arises too. this this uh, this framework arises actually out of this like legal it's almost like legal loophole like creating a legal loophole for a problem around fucking property relations yeah. which is just awful because it's it's literally you because you declare you ha- you would have someone declared incompetent or non-compos mentis specifically so that you could then access their property because otherwise you legally couldn't. Right. And and I think this is the thing that like when you hear the term non-compos mentis or, you know, mentally incompetent, like immediately your 21st century mind is going to go to some clinical designation. <laughs> that That's the way that you're going to like retcon it uh, right. for, for yourself. But let's be like, if you look at the legal history, that could mean any number of things. Again, remember that all of this is happening in English common law. There's not necessarily like clinicians going on, uh, uh, clinicians like evaluating anything, which I think illustrates something about the way things work now, too. Yeah. Um, but the 
this is all happening in this sort of sociological context exactly. um, in the way that judges determine whether or not you are fit to manage your own property. So like there's one case that in this article you sent the of this guy named Frank Wilson, who was like living around Madison, Wisconsin in the 1890s. Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson, like, you know, his his like uncle took him to court and uh, he basically goes in and says, like, my nephew uh, is like subject to fits and he often spends his money in irresponsible ways. He like right. buys little like <laughs> trinkets and things. And like, this means that he is like incompetent. Um, so, uh, you know, he's, he's insane. He's incompetent. He's like used th- those terms are like used interchangeably feeble minded, uh, as well. And then like Andrew, the, the nephew like goes away. Uh, he goes to live with his brother in Iowa and then he comes back a couple years later and the uncle is like, oh, uh, actually, he seems to be able to manage his books a little bit better. Uh, he can like balance his personal budget. Thus, I'm going to go back and petition the court for him to be declared no longer incompetent because he can he seems that he can manage his finances. So, like, notice that that has nothing to do uh, whatever with uh, someone's like uh, mental <laughs> state um, or and and notice that it is like in no way is it about like the state parents patriae protecting <laughs> a person. It is right. simply about managing the property relation yeah, and like and the stewardship of property. Right. It's and not that, about the person. This idea that like we're protecting somebody from themselves so they won't <laughs> harm themselves. This is absurd. Like and it's right. always been absurd. Right. And the thing that's so amazing too is if you actually like dig into it and you're like, well, what exactly why is the state sort of siding with Andrew's um, like guardian, right? Like, why does the state agree that a um, sort of elders basically like dispute with how a younger person in the generation is spending their money? Like, why is that of interest to the state, right? Like, why does the state intervene there? And the idea is that, well, if Andrew Wilson's um, spend thrift habits aren't, um, fixed because Andrew is also physically disabled, he could become a burden and ward of the state if his bad financial behavior, which is like sort of also tied into these puritanical ideas and that are very American about like bad financial behavior is bad morals and therefore a bad person, right? The idea was basically like, okay, so Andrew uh, Wilson had an accident as a child and had, um, partial paralyzation. So when you see in historical records someone being um, described as having fits, that usually means that they have a physical disability of some kind. And so often someone having fits was sort of this prerequisite as if the irresponsible financial behavior alone wasn't enough to get you... um, put under conservatorship, but the irresponsible financial behavior under the heading of being physically disabled, right? Right. That justified Andrew Wilson being put under this conservatorship and having his finances supervised. And, and you know, what you also see, obviously, is sort of then the manipulation of the label of disabled, mad, insane, idiot, feeble-minded, natural fool, whatever, you see that also obviously weaponized and applied to people who um, maybe do not like fit that clinical description of the era in order to justify this kind of behavior. And I think that's what a lot of people are claiming is happening to Britney Spears. Which again becomes, uh, which again, as Phil mentioned, is a completely sociological construction, but it is also, uh, but also has a influence on who is marked as part of the body politic or not as, you know, part of society 
um, or not. And frankly, I just want to mention of the, you know, of the specifically the case that you guys, uh, are, are talking about right now. I mean, fucking plus a change because the case that you're specifically talking about just, uh, sounds exactly also like the way that people talk about, oh, you know, so-and-so has a gambling problem, so they couldn't get custody of their kids or, mm-hmm. you know, the, right. the, the shit that we, uh, the, the shit that we as a society make people who are marked as felons go through when they get out of prison. You know right. what yeah. I mean? Yeah. There are any number of, I guess the point is, there are any number of ways that in this supposed like in, like the supposedly like liberal democratic like world with the world of individual rights that we have all of these rules that like, oh, there's some people that these rights don't apply to. And obviously like that we we talk about that all the more, you know, more and more in the context of like mass incarceration. But this is just like an extension of that state um, to apply to a range of phenomena and behaviors um, and like print sort of uh, puritanical like principles that doesn't tend to get like grouped. So like we have all of these counts of the number of people who are incarcerated for different kinds of offenses and we like track it and we monitor it like rigorously. Like we don't even know the number of people who are under uh, conservatorship or guardianship because state governments in surveys, they've responded like, yeah, we're probably never going to measure this. Like we, (laughs) we don't care enough essentially uh, to measure this. So like the estimate is something around like a 3 million people are under guardianship, but we don't even know. And so that means that any idea that you would be able to like track even like the most egregious examples of abuse within that system, you're never going to be able to do it because we yeah, don't even know the number of people who are under that legal regime in the first place. Well, and the idea that uh, as the as you know is happening all over in, in the press and in political commentary right now that well, so and so as you know to go back to what I was uh, what I, the clips even that I was presenting earlier, you know the idea that the things that are done like th- things like the IUD for example are not uh the like b- like uh, things like Britney Spears having to like being forced by her conservator by her father to keep her IUD in to even blanket say oh this is unusual for these relationships is is uh, it, that's this is un- that is unprovable that is not right. that is not something that can be Anyone who says that uh, with a straight face is just completely it just is like absolutely has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Right. And and to be honest, there are all these contradictions like that that um, pop up in all sort of legal frameworks like this, whether it's conservatorship, guardianship, whether it's a community treatment order or whether it's someone being placed on psychiatric hold itself um, or actually even like under the diagnostic criteria to even get more co- like minute here under the diagnostic criteria of certain mental illnesses in the DSM, there are all these like little contradictions like, okay, um, if a person is refusing your basically assertion as if you're like, let's say you're the psychiatrist here and you're saying I'm seeing this patient and the patient is talking to God or whatever, and I can't get the patient to basically um, admit that they're mentally ill. That is a really interesting sort of legal position that the psychiatrist then put in because you need the person to admit that they're sick in order to have certain controls over them. And also for that person to basically then be held, they basically have to admit, you know, I am mentally ill. And in the past, there have been these really tragic cases. And there's a very famous um, sort of story of this that was reported in a story in The New Yorker, where basically there's a woman who is a repeat psychiatric patient um, who does not believe that she's mentally ill. She asserts over and over she's not mentally ill. 
And as a result, um, she's released from a hold, right? But also she's denied services because those services are tied to diagnostic categories. So she's released onto the street and she has no services and supports because not only do we use these sort of categories and these like weird contradictions of like, is someone competent? Are they not competent? What do they have to do to prove competency in order to control people? We also then dictate and gatekeep what services they have for survival, like shelter, food, etc., based on your ability to basically fit into these diagnostic categories. So this woman, when she was released because... She was like in her own right to refuse her mental health diagnosis. She was therefore, though, also refused entry into like a high risk shelter. And she ended up like dying of exposure in an abandoned house after eating like crab apples all winter long. And her daughter had no idea that she had even been released from the hospital or was in the hospital in the first place because in order to notify the family, you know, the state needs the patient to admit that they're sick. And so there are all these sort of like weird fucked up contradictions that that almost shouldn't exist right but they also create these these problems that we have to solve you know do people fit into this category do they qualify for being you know basically having their rights and citizenship taken away or do they not and and over and over and over again this often whether or not someone qualifies for their autonomy has so much to do with their ability to be productive to work and to earn a living and to pay their bills. And it's always in this sort of class framework. And it really depends on race and class, like what kind of determination you're going to get at the end when you when you face a competency hearing or evaluation. Yeah. And and, and that actually gets into uh, the way that this process works, that I think is like very important to understand that like it begin the the process of like conservatorship or guardianship begins when somebody petitions the court to like use the power of the state to have you declared not competent either to make decisions regarding yourself or your health, or there's like the other prong of this is your finances or your property. So like it is a, it is a, it begins with a legal uh, choice to say this person for reasons that, and, and with under a standard of evidence that the court will like determine um, and it is, you know, you know, ensconced by by state laws. But, you know, as we're going to see, like those state laws are often, you know, give this huge wide berth uh, of like any number of things that could be used as a as a designation for that. We're going to like take away uh, their rights. So like all of these reports on like, oh, what, what should we do about conservatorship or guardianship? Or like, well, we you know, we need to like monitor these 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 things better. We need to make sure that they're like, you know, better reporting and and. Uh, monitoring of, of of these relationships is like, but all at the same time saying like, yeah, at some point this like pit should still exist for right. some people for some reasons. Acknowledging all of the the problems for it or with it, it's like somehow they think it should be okay uh, in the in these sort of reviews for this trap to exist to begin with. And it, it would seem to me that once you're in this system, it's incredibly hard to get out or to have like remediation. So like the it would seem that like one of the best ways to deal with it would just for it to not exist uh, in the first place. <laughs> like if, if we acknowledge that this thing creates all of these hazards uh, for people, like why is it the case that we still that courts, that policymakers still like cling to it as this as this institution? Well, because it's like it's completely bound up, I think, in this very like patronizing patriarchal uh, framework of, you know, it's it's for this person's own 
good, which obviously we've been talking about and around. But I think, for example, the, like the thing that I was mentioning earlier, the like the IUD, for example, is sort of advanced as like, well, in some cases, of course, you want to, uh, you know, you, you, you want to have uh, the ability for the state to step in and, and make sure that someone is taking, you know, taking legal charge over this person's decisions, because in some situations, it's warranted. Um, I'm, I'm thinking specifically here of uh, there's this article from the, in the New York Times, called is the forced contraception alleged by britney spears legal um <laughs> yeah we could just go line by line through that article and it would be a whole damn episode yeah and which it's is a short article too yeah which is a um you know they i think that ultimately unfortunately they say like it's not really legal but unfortunately you know the reality is we're kind of saying is it basically absolutely is but they they say for example of this uh i'm just going to quote here Quote, according to experts in trust and estate law, the handful of cases in which a guardian, usually a parent, has asked a court to order contraception involved severely disabled children. Quote, such a child would lack the capacity to understand that a penis and vagina could make a baby, said Bridget J. Crawford, an expert on guardianship law at Pace University Law School. Quoting Bridget again, and that is certainly not the Britney Spears case. So, yeah, I mean, so one thing I think we should maybe get into is that over and over and over again, just as we've mentioned, the idea of what could qualify a person as needing guardianship really varies. It can be anything from not taking care of your property. Let's say you like are a, a property owning man and you drink a lot and you don't mow your lawn like that at one point definitely would have been or probably still could be a way to have someone declared um, mentally incompetent and unable to take care of their finances. And there's also all these like other weird things that you see pop up over and over and over again. And one of them is basically if someone is not in a heterosexual relationship, if they're unable to sort of um, participate in heterosexual reproduction, that that's often, and, and especially historically, that was often considered in and of itself a qualifying condition to be declared incompetent because, you know, the idea is really, if you boil it down, and I think this is important to talk about, if you really go down to exactly what is being debated in these um, sort of competency determinations. It's saying, is a person fulfilling their uh, duties uh, that are ascribed to them by dominant norms? Are they fulfilling their role as a citizen? And part of our idea of what that role is, is being able to reproduce, right? And being right. able to um, be a worker. And we often talk about how, you know, the idea of disability or surplus population disabled people as being sort of a opposite of a worker, right? In the way that things like disability determinations are framed where to qualify for SSDI, you have to be declared unable to be retrained for more work and not only unable to work the job that you currently have, but you can't be trained to work any job. You're permanently disabled. You know, the idea um, has always sort of been like, is this person able to fulfill their role and being unable to consent to heterosexual reproduction has often been used as this pretext for declaring someone incompetent. And so what you see historically is sometimes this is used on people who are queer. Sometimes this is used on people um, who maybe just don't want to have children, who especially when you see this in the sort of like the wealthy heiress that's then like right. declared incompetent. It's usually like she's partying. She doesn't want to marry and mom like and this is the like sort of famous story of um, 
Ann Cooper Hewitt from 1936, where she goes in for an appendectomy and comes out sterilized right. because her mom went behind her back and because her mom didn't like her lifestyle. So, you know, you have all these cases where sort of these just mere treads over the line of the norm in terms of sexuality and reproduction becomes this, you know, fulcrum of of competency, right? Competency is tied into our ideas of whether someone can behave as a normal person and behaving as a normal person often includes being able to reproduce. So when someone is not a normal person, then, you know, contextually speaking, it makes sense that we would feel the right to control their reproduction, right? Right. And it's and I guess the 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 point that you bring out there is that like we could look at this just in the context of conservatorship or guardianship. But what you see is that there are all of these principles that are inherent in that system that we have repeated in other ways in which um, the state deals with. And I'm not just talking about the United States. I mean, this this is trans transnational uh, in a lot of ways um, in the way that the state deals with disability Uh, that like that that same set of principles applies in all these other uh, institution. So when you're looking at conservatorship or guardianship, it is one way among many that we use this sort of broad sense of um, incompetence uh, to discipline uh, behavior. But we have all kinds of other ways of more in, in certain ways, more sophisticated, like you don't have to go to court uh, necessarily to like make that true now. But um, and, and maybe it's the case that like you see these cases of people who are rich or famous uh, it happening there because all of there are all of these sort of like property relations that are somehow just like a little <laughs> bit more visible um, estates and so on uh, that that that's sort of why they get get lifted in public public consciousness. Right. I mean, would we bat an eye if the story was a woman who is on um, maybe state like safety net supports? Let's say let's say if a woman is on welfare and she's being forced by her state appointed guardian or conservator to have an IUD and not have more children, would this be a story, right? If she was on public supports? Well, well probably might, not. It, it might, but to the extent that it would be, it would be probably treated as a look at this tragic woman, you know, right. like this, look at, look at this tragic outlier case, you know what I mean? Which to be fair, yes, the Britney Spears case is treated like an outlier. However, it's treated like an outlier in the sort of like opposite sense where it's where it's like, look at this exceptional individual. We must free the exceptional individual. Right. 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 And and I mean, I think it's also important to think about, you know, really, what are, what are they saying when they're like, well, you know, uh, I, controlling someone's reproduction under this uh, legal conservatorship schema is usually done to disabled children. Right. What are they really talking children. about? I mean, you know, the kind of thing that they're talking about here is, um, I think, most uh, well known through the case of Ashley X, who was at the time a six year old child who had a severe um intellectual and developmental disability from birth. And the situation with Ashley became a media sensation because in 2002, her parents and her doctors sought to basically sterilize her, attenuate her physical growth, and surgically desexualize her by removing her breasts and uh, reproductive organs because she was considered to be sort of the... um, so, 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 quote, I'm going to use clinical language here and it's going to sound gross, but so severely intellectually and developmentally disabled that she was, quote unquote, not aware 
Um, mm. Her parents said that in order to, and this is this really brings up some of the you know some of the really terrifying contradictions that that families are really placed in because basically the parents say we want to put our daughter on horth, on growth hormones and subject her to surgeries in order to basically keep her small because she's currently small and we want to make sure she doesn't grow more because we have to carry her everywhere and she cannot walk, she cannot feed herself, she cannot do any activities of daily living alone. So we need to keep her small in order to continue to afford to keep her at home because if she grows to be a full-size human, not only could she be quote-unquote, taken advantage of sexually just for having breasts um, and being disabled, but also um, that she would become too physically large and they would have to institutionalize her. So Which, again, this is, you're, you know, you're, you're explaining this case specifically because this is what is referenced as the quote-unquote justified reasons exactly. to, to, to do things like this. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, on the scale, um, I, I would say that Britney Spears is definitely like, a outlier case of this being employed, but I think also it's worth um, arguing that no one actually uh, has the right to do this to anyone, regardless of what sort of competency determination a court makes. Because the thing that I think is always really interesting to consider with the case of Ashley X is that we've determined that at you know we as the sort of um, medical like medical authority in society have determined that Ashley is someone who cannot communicate and does not have like a consciousness or a self, right? It, when people are severely disabled and we talk about severely disabled children, most of the time people mean like, you know, uh, this kind of idea of like there's no light on in there. But actually, there's no way to know that at all. We have no idea what Ashley's consciousness is and what Ashley's life is and what Ashley feels when people touch Ashley's body, right? But this decision is made that in order to protect Ashley, we have to, you know, remove her sexual organs and prevent Ashley from going through puberty and becoming sexualized because, you know, you you cannot have a sexual experience and be legally incompetent under our sort of moral narrative framework. So, you know, these these cases are incredibly complex and they involve like some of the most fraught bioethical issues. Right. But when we collapse it to a deserving and a non-deserving case of reproductive control, right, comparing Britney Spears to Ashley X, that that's an incredible way to sort of collapse and erase what's actually going on here. Which, again, we're not even doing. We didn't do that comparison. The New York Times did that comparison for us. But <laughs> but also um, I think this I think that Ashley X case also interestingly sort of literalizes an undercurrent in this which is the conflation of the disabled or again to use um to like to to use the old 18th century terms uh the natural fools or the distracted persons um there's sort of conflation with like the innocence of childhood mm -hmm. or whatever the idea that um i mean even when you see if you look at some of the the uh, commentary on the Britney Spears case, people say things like, oh, she's being kept in a second childhood, which is, uh, which really is when you go back and look at the historical record of things like this is, w I mean, would, would barely be out of place in a, you know, an account of like someone, uh, 
someone in the like 18th century who was ruled to be feeble-minded or, or whatever. Right. We have this kind of like dual frame of innocence that we use as this kind of both protective way of talking about people and also this way of restricting their life chances and restricting and foreclosing on their personhood. And so what you often see is this kind of idea that someone is innocent and needs to be protected Right. But also in the same moment, that innocence is being declared as justification for the removal of their rights, because in our society, you know, like we don't think of children as having rights or autonomy. So part of this framework is the idea, basically, that if someone is declared to be childlike, then that justifies putting them in the same sort of subject position and legal position um, as a child. Right. And, and I think that this it survives in part because the sort of legal profession frames it as something that remains necessary as a quote last resort. Uh, so, so if you read sort of what lawyers write, uh, often like sort of general sort of interest estates, trusts, family lawyers write about this, it's like, well, for managing certain kinds of situations, it you know. Obviously, we take the, you know, deprival of individual rights quite seriously. And so we want to, like, exhaust all other alternatives um, to this before we we get to this. But it's still, you know, given that, quote, like uh, the purpose of it is to protect the interests of (laughs) the incapacitated. Right. It still has to remain as this option. But I think in practice, what you see is that this idea that like, oh, there are all of these hoops that we get jumped through or, or rungs that we have to like meet before we get to legal guardianship uh, in practice, all of that is illusory because it's, it's just a slippery slope down to this uh, de- deprival uh, of rights. Um, and, and, and I think that that's, that is a sort of problem that like there, when you whitewash this history, you, it, it's easy to like come to that, um, conclusion that like, oh, that's actually why this exists. Um, right. But in fact, it doesn't really seem that that's the case at all. Right. Yeah. And so so often, really, the 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 real bare bones point is that the state sees the the biological family as this kind of safety net of last resort and really sees its responsibility to step in and provide social supports and social welfare supports and survival supports for people who are deemed, you know, to be um, clinically vulnerable only after the family fails to provide those supports in kind, which, you know, I think is always legally framed as this kind of implicit obligation that there is a certain amount of care that should be coming from family members, particularly uncompensated. And so often this kind of idea of conservatorship or or passing the guardianship of finances over to the quote unquote caretaker is also this kind of like um, like metaphorical compensation for their unpaid care labor. Right. Right. And I think like some of the other like some other things that we talk about, but I think particularly I think it's particularly important here as we've been doing to talk about the case of Britney Spears conservatorship within this historical framework, because especially in a very meaningful way, a lot of the the sociological construction of of these like incapacitated persons of these uh, the, there's a there's a term in disability studies of these spoiled identities, right? Um, you know, th- this idea that like we can disqualify certain members of the body politic, you know, based on these like social sociologically constructed uh, notions. Um, obviously, they run 
very deep, but I think it is, it's important to look at how from Britney Spears all the way back to the fucking, the days of fucking like hunting down witches and shit. Um, (laughs) A lot of the way that we talk about these things is either very similar or it's almost like, you know, we've, we've modernized the language a little bit. We've dressed it up in, in, you know, contemporary nicety and we have new, um, we have new terms for things that are now considered uh, like, like vile or ugly to say like the word retarded, for example, you know, Unless you host a popular podcast called Red Scare, like you mostly don't, <laughs> you mostly don't uh, say terms like that. But you know, for example, I just want to like to to reinforce how some of this language is is similar, but then again, goes back to this very this the extremely uh, close minded like w- witch hunting religiosity language mm-hmm. or something. Uh, I just want to read a really brief thing from 1676. Uh, a clergyman <laughs> named yeah. Richard Baxter. Um, who who makes the assertion Real that I asshole. just made about uh, how we treat uh, disabled people like children, who literally frames it this way in a, in a positive sense. So he's, he says here, but kingdoms and nations contain infants, and he discipleth not a nation that discipleth no infants in the nation. I have before and elsewhere fully proved infants capable parts as Christ was of being head and as infants are of societies. <laughs> Infants are part of society. We live in a society is what he's saying. (laughs) And of a part in covenants with men and idiots having not the use of reason from the birth are in the same case with infants and the distracted after after at age are nothing to our case, but are capable of being distracted members and distraction is not excommunication nor unchurcheth any. Um, Basically, I mean, the fact that this was sort of the generous opinion of the time, which was that, um, you know, basically the idea trying was trying to that, prove that original sin is like you don't have to consider that children and, and quote unquote idiots have original sin. Right. right? I mean, because the idea was the idea that this that Baxter really pushes back on um, and is lauded for being a humanitarian at the time is that the puritanical norm was basically if you were or sort of the the norm pre the puritan movement was if you were if you were born you were born into sin and so you needed to become an adult in order to sort of find religion and be saved and so when children died or when people were intellectually disabled they were kind of considered incapable of being absolved of sin because they were incapable of of um recognizing and knowing God, right? And so you have this whole movement um, within Puritanism, which is sort of tied into their whole idea, not just in charity and charity work, but in the personal absolution of people through their um, their good deeds, like specifically towards those like below them. And I think you you commonly see this like in the beginning of a lot of American medical literature where you have this sort of like, um, it, 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 people almost frame it like their God-given goal to protect all of the world's innocent, right? Because they are this sort of privileged, naive position. And what they actually say to to protect them is often a, a justification of some really awful and extractive practices, which basically involve remanding um, control of their lives to the state, which, you know, for um, for people who received conservatorship from family members, they were more likely to survive and live out their life. But for people who were given state conservators, often those are people that um, the conservator would just spend through the money and they would be kicked out on the street. And so you sort of have this idea that, you know, in protecting someone, 
um, that the only way to protect them is to fully remove their autonomy. Because if you do not have the ability to understand God's morals, then you cannot be making decisions as a citizen. And so they would take away stuff from like, like you cannot barter for goods. You're not allowed to buy food in the community and the community decides if you are declared, you know, a legal idiot, then you're not allowed to participate in so many activities that are deemed to require the ability uh, of moral discernment and judgment. Because again, this is tied up into the idea that only people who know God under this puritanical (laughs) sense, only those who know God are capable of making accurate moral decisions. So if you cannot uh, be intellectually capable of knowing God, either because of you know, your young age, your old age, or your quote unquote incompetency, then you're unable to participate in these kind of moral fiscal transactions. Right. No. And, and, and the point, and the point being here, right, that the legal form of guardianship, regardless of what, you know, with all legal, as with all legal forms, people come up with new defenses of them. Like it's a thing (laughs) because they exist And then over time, they increasingly their existence departs from our understanding of what the world should be like. Different norms emerge. You have to then re and because they're like they also serve this important like social and economic like function uh, like of the the state's power. You people have to like come up with new defenses of these things. Right. So we don't we don't defend them in puritanical terms. You're not going to like hear people say that sort of thing. But we come up with new defenses like, oh, we're you know, we're protecting people from themselves. This is here to help people. It's here to rehabilitate people. And eventually like people will um, who are under guardianship uh, through the sort of careful care of professionals and uh, jurists, they will like you know potentially be able to like gain their rights uh, back. But of course, that doesn't happen. Um, but the point is, this legal form, it is impossible to understand it without understanding that context. Otherwise, it would not exist uh, in this way. And ju- and there are judges who know this, right? There are judges who you talk to on this, and they're like, I will not do this. I will not put people under guardianship at all because this does not make any sense in the context of our current legal understanding of individual rights. Okay. Um, now many judges of course also don't understand that. And legislatures certainly don't understand that because in many States it's a lot easier to petition for full guardianship or full conservatorship than any of the other like so-called limited alternatives uh, to guardianship, like power of attorney um, uh, and uh, and other sort of like more, more limited forms. So like medical proxy, yeah, medical Mm -hmm. proxy or whatever. Right. So the point is that if you don't sort of reckon with this thing, which is entirely out of joint, like once you like present this and it's like, no, this is not just like a historical case study of like what law was like at one point in time, um, like conservatorship might be used for slightly different purposes. Now we have a different language to dress it up in, but it is essentially, it, it just, it just retains that form over time. There's, there's mm-hmm. nothing, unless you deal with that, that form, that legal form itself, you, you can like put any number of like bells or whistles on it. Uh, it, it doesn't really change that. Um, and so yeah, so like th- this is this is the point. Yeah, right. no, exactly. Which is why, uh, which is why we say you know not just free Britney, free them all, because it's you know th- this is not simply a, a 
question of, you know, like rights of a small amount of people. This is not simply a, like a quote unquote, like, um, identity politics issue or whatever. No, this is like, th- this is, and this is not, this is certainly not the, the case of like one singular specific injustice, though, like a lot of things, it also is that <laughs> this is a structural inequity that is entirely about how we socially and politically construct who the we of society is versus who is in the out group versus who is uh who is excluded who is subject to having their autonomy stripped who and and under what circumstances um is that not only allowable but apparently encouraged right? right and it's not a it is not the abuse of a system it is a it is part of the ideological apparatus of the state right right? it is it is one component of of many linked directly to so many things that we talk about all the time right and so much of this also hinges on the history and the development of psychiatric authority because it's important to remember that that a lot of these sort of legal frameworks also make up the basis for um justifying medical authority because medical authority through um centuries has been built up through these legal frameworks and through the ability to verify and determine whether someone is uh, what, what was it nat- a natural born fool, a natural fool, or, or a fool natural, a fool, yeah, or someone who, on the flip side, someone who is you know malingering or making a decision to uh, engage in too much drink and fail as a heterosexual male head of household or whatever, not mow their lawn, you know. But but there is this really important point that. I think uh, that we brought up in the beginning, which is the idea that Britney Spears does not want to have to face another psych evaluation to be released from her conservatorship. And I think that's a really important point. And a lot of people have been very shocked at the fact that she's being forced to take lithium, which is a um, you know mood stabilizer and antipsychotic. It's heavily sedative. It comes with a lot of side effects. And um, a lot of people have been absolutely shocked that that is what's going on. But that's actually incredibly common. That's actually the most common way that someone's rights are taken away. It's kind of the baby step pre-conservatorship for a lot of people because there are a bunch of different legal systems actually to take away someone's rights and control whether they're allowed um, to live in society and by what conditions they are allowed to live in society. So when someone is remanded to psychiatric observation under the Mental Health Act, they lose a lot of rights. So this is the idea of, you know, calling to have someone committed. Well, you know, we talk, people talk about doing that as kind of a joke or in pop culture, but I don't think a lot of people actually totally understand what legally goes on when that happens. And part of what happens is that someone loses their um, individual autonomy to the authority of biopsychiatry, very specifically. And there's a guy named Eric Fabris who who writes about this um, in a book called Tranquil Prisons, um, and he calls the term chemical incarceration. He's the person credited with this idea, which is basically like that antipsychotic medications are often imposed. Notice I'm not saying prescribed here. They're often imposed on people deemed by psychiatric authorities to be a danger to themselves or others. So the assumption is that, you know, that this is a safe and effective way to, quote unquote, keep society safe um, and that legally people can be required to maintain imposed sedation 
And this is often the number one condition for release from a psychiatric inpatient stay. Um, it's usually done under a community treatment order um, where basically you're only released on the contingency that you will continue this supervised chemical sedation. And, um, you know, this is a practice that became really popular starting in the early 1950s, which is sort of where you get the stories of of Nurse Ratchet and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and the sort of idea that patients in asylums line up to take pills that make them sleep and drool all day long. And that was very much the reality. So when you hear of stuff like the anti-psychiatry movement, it's important to understand that this is the context that that people are rebelling against which is the the dominant practice starting in the early 50s of basically sedating someone into a stupor in order to reduce the costs of the state in maintaining their institutionalized care. Yeah. And that's super, super crucial. Well, and unfortunately, that legacy continues to be very carceral, which is why I would say that probably we need a contemporary anti-psychiatry movement. And it's a shame that we don't really have one, but I digress. And, and you know, so it's like community treatment orders are sort of like the baby step to conservatorship. So often, you know, if someone fails to follow their community treatment order, they can be remanded back into supervised custody or, you know, they could be bumped up into this context of conservatorship. So the idea that Britney Spears being prescribed lithium is a violation of the norms of conservatorship is actually, I think, one of the most naive um, framings that has been forwarded in this because chemical incarceration is incredibly common. It has been incredibly common since um, something called the Thorazine Task Force was formed in 1954, where the company that had the U.S. license to make Thorazine started lobbying state governments to increase their funding to state asylums in order to increase the use of chemical incarceration. And then, of course, they also used all this sort of data that they were getting gathered on people in asylums to um, further their research on their own product. And so you have this practice in the United States that has been, you know, rebelled against by professionals and users and survivors alike for decades. But it, it is still the dominant way of basically allowing someone back into society once we have, quote unquote, removed them for their safety or the safety of society. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, as we're saying it's one thing to say free Britney and absolutely free Britney, but it is also important to realize that, you know, Britney's race, Britney's wealth and Britney's power as a media figure and as a public figure gives her incredible leverage in the scenario, which is usually a scenario where the where the individual has zero leverage yeah. and zero power. It is power. not common, for example, for there even to be allowed testimony from yeah. the person under the conservatorship because the they're not considered trusted by the court right. you know yeah if anything um, is exceptional about this case it's that it's the fact that she's had the ability uh to speak before a court and to have her words heard by as many outside observers which is why uh, it's so which is, which is why we're talking about it and why it's so important because this should be understood not as a dereliction of duty or some fucking stupid bullshit this should be understood as the reason to end this institution yeah it's a wholesale and, indictment of the practice not of a misuse of the practice yeah i think i, I think we're uh, we're coming to the end here but i do have one last clip for you guys oh great i promise this one isn't gonna hurt as much okay i think i don't know if i trust you but that's i wanna okay. so uh i, I want to play you guys for, for you and the listeners to enjoy 
statements made on the matter by uh, Megan McCain on The View yesterday. Come on, nice. sorry, at the end Come of on the- man. Why are you going to do this to me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, You've been all over this topic, Megan. What do you think of her testimony? Yeah, I mean, it's ironic. Yesterday after the show, I actually moderated a panel on human rights violations with um, (laughs) two people that work in this space and someone who had actually fled a country because of the human (laughs) rights violations he experienced. And I was absolutely sick to my stomach listening to the audio. I felt physically ill. I had to like take a pause in bed after I listened to it. This is a woman who um, is pleading for her freedom, pleading for her life. By any card-carrying definition, this is a definition of human trafficking. I actually believe this has reached the level that the FBI needs to be involved and extradite her Uh, from her home away from these people this very moment because these are people that could continue the abuse. I think it is at that level, and if she were any other person not named Britney Spears, this is a human trafficking issue and should be treated as such. Yeah. Okay. If she were any other um, person. Okay. Wow. Sarah. <sighs> Megan McCain, human rights warrior. I just thought I just thought that that would be good for a laugh. For no, and this guys. is why this is actually. I mean, that's the best example as to why the this FBI is so important. The FBI needs to important. extradite her from her home. <laughs> yeah, it's clear how little I think the general public like actually knows about how common this is, and you know how many people actually that this is their life. And Britney Spears is not just. Um, an exceptional instance, but this is an incredible opportunity to try and force a conversation about like wholesale, a practice that we have done for centuries is bullshit and dangerous and ableist and bad. But we're keeping it framed in this whole idea of, oh my gosh, my pop idol couldn't possibly be disabled because a disabled person is not someone you idolize. Like this famous, rich, working white lady, like how could she possibly be incompetent? She fits all of those dominant, you know, social factors, which again, just going back to the idea of like property ownership, maintaining your property. Britney Spears is in her testimony, you know, asserting I was good. I was a good girl. I was pretty for my dad for 13 years. Like I followed the rules and I did everything I was supposed to and I made money and I'm, I've supported all these people, made all of this money. I deserve to um, be free. And I think, you know, it's very, very important to say, yes, absolutely, Brittany deserves to be free, as does everyone else, based on the idea, not that they are productive you know, citizens who work and contribute, but based on the idea that they are humans and that human, like human beings deserve citizenship and care and like, you know, whatever, not to be sort of marked as spoiled and said, okay, you're not, you know, you are a citizen if you can like pay your taxes and if you are too poor to pay your taxes, like, never mind, just kidding. Like you go over here and you're, you know, you're sort of remanded to custody of the state. And it's, it's, um, you know, to talk about this only in the context of one person uh, who this doesn't, you know, quote unquote, apply to really misses an opportunity not only to build broader solidarity, but also to have a conversation about class, too, because well, the- and what we do to people generally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Yeah. And um, we'll catch you later in the week in the main feed. If you'd like to help us out a little more, we appreciate your support so much. Thank you for being a patron. But feel free to share the show with your friends, tweet about it, post about it, whatever. Follow us on social media. We appreciate all the love and all the support. And um, as always, 
Medicare for all now. Solidarity forever. Stay alive another week. And she specifically said to the judge she does not want to have a psych evaluation. But it seems to me that uh, the, the judge will insist on that before making a decision of this magnitude. I agree with you. You know, one thing we have to keep in mind is we don't have access to all the evidence that the judge saw in 2008 when the conservatorship was placed temporarily, when it was made permanent. And when it was renewed under California law, an investigator goes out every year to check in. So we have a partial glimpse of what Brittany's life has been like. It seems tragic, but there's a larger story that we may never see.